Part One of Lot Number Two Forty Nine by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in July two thousand twenty. Lot Number Two Forty Nine by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Part One. Of the dealings of Edward Bellingham with William Monkhouse Lee, and of the cause of the great terror of Abercrombie Smith, it may be that no absolute and final judgment will ever be delivered. It is true that we have the full and clear narrative of Smith himself, and such corroboration as he could look for from Thomas Stiles, the servant, from the Reverend Plumptree Peterson, fellow of Olds, and from such other people as chanced to gain some passing glance at this or that incident in a singular chain of events. Yet, in the main, the story must rest upon Smith alone, and the most will think that it is more likely that one brain, however outwardly sane, has some subtle warp in its texture, some strange flaw in its workings, than that the path of nature has been overstepped in open day in so famed a centre of learning and light as the university of oxford yet when we think how narrow and how devious this path of nature is how dimly we can trace it for all our lamps of science and how from the darkness which girds it round great and terrible possibilities loom ever shadowly upwards it is a bold and confident man who will put a limit to the strange by-paths into which the human spirit may wander. In a certain wing of what we will call Old College in Oxford, there is a corner turret of an exceeding great age. The heavy arch which spans the open door has bent downwards in the centre under the weight of its years, and the grey lichen-blotched blocks of stone are bound and knitted together with withies and strands of ivy as though the old mother had set herself to brace them up against wind and weather from the door a stone stair curves upward spirally passing two landings and terminating in a third one its steps all shapeless and hollowed by the tread of so many generations of the seekers after knowledge Life has flowed like water down this winding stair, and, water-like, has left these smooth-worn grooves behind it. From the long-gowned pedantic scholars of Plantagenet days, down to the young bloods of a later age, how full and strong had been that tide of young English life! And what was left now of all those hopes, those strivings, those fiery energies, save here and there in some old-world churchyard a few scratches upon a stone and perchance a handful of dust in a mouldering coffin yet here were the silent stair and the grey old wall with bend and saltire and many another heraldic device still to be read upon its surface like grotesque shadows thrown back from the days that had passed in the month of may in the year eighteen eighty four three young men occupied the sets of rooms which opened on to the separate landings of the old stair each set consisted simply of a sitting-room and of a bedroom while the two corresponding rooms upon the ground floor were used the one as a coal cellar and the other as the living-room of the servant or jip thomas stiles whose duty it was to wait upon the three men above him to right and to left was a line of lecture-rooms and of offices, 
so that the dwellers in the old turret enjoyed a certain seclusion which made the chambers popular among the more studious undergraduates such were the three who occupied them now abercrombie smith above edward bellingham beneath him and william monkhouse lee upon the lowest story it was ten o'clock on a bright spring night and abercrombie smith lay back in his armchair his feet upon the fender and his prior root pipe between his lips in a similar chair and equally at his ease there lounged on the other side of the fireplace his old school friend jephro hasty both men were in flannels for they had spent their evening upon the river but apart from their dress no one could look at their hard-cut alert faces without seeing that they were open-air men men whose minds and tastes turned naturally to all that was manly and robust hasty indeed was stroke of his college boat and smith was an even better oar but a coming examination had already cast its shadow over him and held him to his work save for the few hours a week which health demanded a litter of medical books upon the table with scattered bones models and anatomical plates pointed to the extent as well as the nature of his studies while a couple of single sticks and a set of boxing gloves above the mantelpiece hinted at the means by which with hasty's help he might take his exercise in its most compressed and least distant form they knew each other very well so well that they could sit now in that soothing silence which is the very highest development of companionship have some whisky said abercrombie smith at last between two cloudbursts scotch is in the jug and irish in the bottle no thanks i'm in for the skulls i don't liquor when i'm training how about you i'm reading hard i think it best to leave it alone hasty nodded and they relapsed into a contented silence by the way smith asked hasty presently have you made the acquaintance of either of the fellows on your stair yet oh, just a nod when we pass nothing more hum i should be inclined to let it stand at that i know something of them both not much but as much as i want i don't think i should take them to my bosom if i were you not that there's much amiss with monkhouse lee meaning the thin one precisely he's a gentlemanly little fellow i don't think there is any vice in him but then you can't know him without knowing bellingham meaning the fat one yes the fat one and he's a man whom i for one would rather not know abercrombie smith raised his eyebrows and glanced across at his companion what's up then he asked drink cards cad you used not to be censorious ah you evidently don't know the man or you wouldn't ask there's something damnable about him something reptilian my gorge always rises at him i should put him down as a man with secret vices an evil liver he's no fool though they say that he is one of the best men in his line that they have ever had in the college medicine or classics eastern languages he's a demon at them chillingworth met him somewhere above the second cataract last long and he told me that he just prattled to the arabs as if he had been born and nursed and weaned among them 
he talked coptic to the copts and hebrew to the jews and arabic to the bedouins and they were all ready to kiss the hem of his frock coat there are some old hermit johnnies up in those parts who sit on rocks and scowl and spit at the casual stranger well when they saw this chap bellingham before he had said five words they just lay down on their bellies and wriggled chillingworth said that he never saw anything like it bellingham seemed to take it as his right too and strutted about among them and talked down to them like a dutch uncle pretty good for an undergraduate of old's wasn't it ah that sort of thing doesn't mean much in the east though it was just their way of saying that they were surprised and pleased to find a foreigner who knew something of their history and language but how do you come to know this fellow well i come from applesford you know and so does young monkhouse lee his father is vicar there and he has a sister evelyn lee who is as nice a little girl as you would wish to see when lee began to be chummy with bellingham he asked him down to stay at the vicarage and i saw something of him the mischief of it is that he's managed in some way to get the better of little evelyn and she's engaged to him huh, what she can see in the fellow but it's my belief that there are many women and evelyn lee is among them who are so unselfish and so gentle and so frightened of giving pain that if their father's gardeners were to propose to them they would accept them for fear of hurting their feelings if they refused well i suppose they know their own business best but it makes a man grind his teeth a dove and a toad that's what i always think of abercrombie smith grinned and knocked his ashes out against the side of the grate you show every card in your hand old chap said he what a prejudiced green-eyed evil-thinking old man it is you have really nothing against a fellow except that well i have known her ever since she was so long as that cherry-wood pipe and i don't like to see her taking risks and it is a risk he looks beastly and he has a beastly temper a venomous temper you remember his row with long norton no you always forget that i'm a freshman ah it was last winter of course well you know the towpath along by the river there were several fellows going along it bellingham in front when they came on an old market woman coming the other way it had been raining you know what those fields are like when it has rained and the path ran between a river and a great puddle that was nearly as broad well what does this swine do but keep the path and push the old girl into the mud where she and her marketings came to terrible grief it was a blackguard thing to do and long norton who is a gentlest fellow as ever stepped told him what he thought of it one word led to another and it ended in norton laying his stick across the fellow's shoulders there was the deuce of a fuss about it and it's a treat to see the way in which bellingham looks at norton when they meet now by jove smith it's nearly eleven o'clock no hurry light your pipe again not i i'm supposed to be in training here i've been sitting gossiping like a old woman when i ought to have been safely tucked up i'll borrow your skull if you can spare it williams has had mine for a month i'll take the little bones of your ear too if you are sure you won't need them thanks very much 
Never mind a bag. I can carry them very well under my arm. Good night, my son, and take my tip as to your neighbor. When Hasty, bearing his anatomical plunder, had clattered off down the winding stair, Abercrombie Smith hurled his pipe into the waste-paper basket, and, drawing his chair nearer to the lamp, plunged into a formidable green-covered volume, adorned with great-coloured maps of that strange internal kingdom of which we are the hapless and helpless monarchs. Though a freshman at Oxford, the student was not so in medicine, for he had worked for four years at Glasgow and at Berlin, and this coming examination would place him finally as a member of his profession. With his firm mouth, broad forehead, and clear-cut, somewhat hard-featured face, he was a man who, if he had no brilliant talent, was yet so dogged, so patient, and so strong, that he might in the end overtop a more showy genius. A man who can hold his own among Scotchmen and North Germans is not a man to be easily set back. Smith had left a name at Glasgow and at Berlin, and he was bent now upon doing as much as Oxford, if hard work and devotion could accomplish it. He had sat reading for about an hour, and the hands of the noisy carriage clock upon the side-table were rapidly closing together upon the twelve, when a sudden sound fell upon the student's ear, a sharp, rather shrill sound, like the hissing intake of a man's breath who gasps under some strong emotion. Smith laid down his book and slanted his ear to listen. There was no one on either side or above him, so that the interruption came certainly from the neighbour beneath him, the same neighbour of whom Hasty had given so unsavoury an account. Smith knew him only as a flabby, pale-faced man of silent and studious habits, a man whose lamp threw a golden bar from the old turret even after he had extinguished his own. This community in lateness had formed a certain silent bond between them. It was soothing to Smith, when the hours stole on towards dawning, to feel that there was another so close who set as small a value upon his sleep as he did. He could even see him at times, for when the moon lay behind the turret, and cast its black length across the green quadrangle lawn, each window stood out upon the shadow as a yellow glimmering square, and there, in the centre of this golden frame, Smith could sometimes see the blurred outline of the sunken head and rounded shoulders of the worker beneath him. Even now, as his thoughts turned towards him, Smith's feelings were kindly. Hasty was a good fellow, but he was rough, strong-fibred, with no imagination or sympathy. He could not tolerate departures from what he looked upon as the model type of manliness. If a man could not be measured by a public school standard, then he was beyond the pale with hasty. Like so many who are themselves robust, he was apt to confuse the constitution with the character, to ascribe to want of principle what was really a want of circulation. Smith, with his stronger mind, knew his friend's habit, and made allowance for it now as his thoughts turned towards the man beneath him. There was no return of the singular sound, and Smith was about to turn to his work once more, when suddenly there broke out in the silence of the night a hoarse cry, a positive scream, the call of a man who is moved and shaken beyond all control. Smith sprang out of his chair and dropped his book. 
he was a man of fairly firm fibre but there was something in this sudden uncontrollable shriek of horror which chilled his blood and pringled in his skin coming in such a place and at such an hour it brought a thousand fantastic possibilities into his head should he rush down or was it better to wait he had all the national hatred of making a scene and he knew so little of his neighbour that he would not lightly intrude upon his affairs for a moment he stood in doubt and even as he balanced the matter there was a quick rattle of footsteps upon the stairs and young monkhouse lee half dressed and as white as ashes burst into his room come down he grasped bellingham's ill abercrombie smith followed him closely downstairs into the sitting-room which was beneath his own and intent as he was upon the matter in hand he could not but take an amazed glance around him as he crossed the threshold it was such a chamber as he had never seen before a museum rather than a study walls and ceiling were thickly covered with a thousand strange relics from egypt and the east tall angular figures bearing burdens or weapons stalked in an uncouth frieze round the apartments above were bull-headed stork-headed cat-headed owl-headed statues with wiper-crowned almond-eyed monarchs and strange beetle-like deities cut out of the blue egyptian lapis lazuli horus and isis and osiris peeped down from every niche and shelf while across the ceiling a true son of old nile a great hanging-jawed crocodile was hung in a double noose in the centre of this singular chamber was a large square table littered with papers bottles and the dried leaves of some graceful palm-like plant these varied objects all had been heaped together in order to make room for a mummy case which had been conveyed from the wall as was evident from the gap there and laid across the front of the table the mummy itself a horrid black withered thing like a charred head on a gnarled bush was lying half out of the case with its claw-like hand and bony forearm resting upon the table propped up against the sarcophagus was an old yellow scroll of papyrus and in front of it in a wooden armchair sat the owner of the room his head thrown back his widely opened eyes directed in a horrified stare to the crocodile above him and his blue thick lips puffing loudly with every expiration my god he's dying cried monkhouse lee distractedly he was a slim handsome young fellow olive-skinned and dark-eyed of a spanish rather than of an english type with a celtic intensity of manner which contrasted with the saxon phlegm of abercrombie smith only a faint i think said the medical student just give me a hand with him you take his feet now on to the sofa can you kick all those little wooden devils off what a litter it is now he will be all right if we undo his collar and give him some water what has he been up to at all i don't know i heard him cry out as i ran up i know him pretty well you know it is very good of you to come down his heart is going like a pair of castanets said smith laying his hand on the breast of the unconscious man he seems to me to be frightened all to pieces chuck the water on him what a face he has got on him it was indeed a strange and most repellent face for colour and outline were equally unnatural 
it was white not with the ordinary pallor of fear but with an absolutely bloodless white like the underside of a soul he was very fat but gave the impression of having at some time been considerably fatter for his skin hung loosely in creases and folds and was shot with a meshwork of wrinkles short stubbly brown hair bristled up from his scalp with a pair of thick wrinkled ears protruding on either side his light grey eyes were still open the pupils dilated and the balls projecting in a fixed and horrid stare it seemed to smith as he looked down upon him that he had never seen nature's danger signals flying so plainly upon a man's countenance and his thoughts turned more seriously to the warning which hasty had given him an hour before what the deuce can have frightened him so he asked it's the mummy the mummy how then i don't know it's beastly and morbid i wish he would drop it it's the second fright he has given me it was the same last winter i found him just like this with that horrid thing in front of him what does he want with the mummy then oh he's a crank you know it's his hobby he knows more about these things than any man in england but i wish he wouldn't ah he's beginning to come too a faint tinge of colour had begun to steal back into bellingham's ghastly cheeks and his eyelids shivered like a sail after a calm he clasped and unclasped his hands drew a long thin breath between his teeth and suddenly jerking up his head threw a glance of recognition around him as his eyes fell upon the mummy he sprang off the sofa seized the roll of papyrus thrust it into a drawer locked the drawer and then staggered back onto the sofa what's up he asked what do you chaps want you've been shrieking out and making no end of a fuss said monkhouse lee if our neighbour here from above hadn't come down i'm sure i don't know what i should have done with you ah it's mr abercrombie smith said bellingham glancing up at him how very good of you to come in what a fool i am oh my god what a fool i am he sunk his head onto his hands and burst into peal after peal of hysterical laughter look here drop it cried smith shaking him roughly by the shoulder your nerves are all in a jangle you must drop these little midnight games with mummies or you'll be going off your chump you're all on wires now i wonder said bellingham whether you would be as cool as i am if you had seen what then oh nothing i mean that i wonder if you could sit up at night with a mummy without trying your nerves i have no doubt that you are quite right i dare say that i have been taking it out of myself too much lately but i'm all right now please don't go though just wait for a few minutes until i am quite myself the room is very close remarked lee throwing open the window and letting in the cool night air it's balsamic resin said bellingham he lifted up one of the dried palmate leaves from the table and frizzled it up over the chimney of the lamp it broke away into heavy smoke wreaths and a pungent biting odour filled the chamber it's the sacred plant the plant of the priests he remarked do you know anything of eastern languages mr smith nothing at all 
not a word the answer seemed to lift a weight from the egyptologist's mind by the way he continued how long was it from the time that you came down until i came to my senses not long some four or five minutes i thought it could not be very long said he drawing a long breath but what a strange thing unconsciousness is there is no measurement to it i could not tell from my own sensations if it were seconds or weeks now that gentleman on the table was packed up in the days of the eleventh dynasty some forty centuries ago and yet if he could find his tongue he would tell us that this lapse of time has been but a closing of the eyes and a reopening of them he's a singularly fine mummy mr smith smith stepped over to the table and looked down with a professional eye at the black and twisted form in front of him the features though horribly discoloured were perfect and two little nut-like eyes still lurked in the depths of the black hollow sockets the blotched skin was drawn tightly from bone to bone and a tangled wrap of black coarse hair fell over the ears two thin teeth like those of a rat overlay the shrivelled lower lip in its crouching position with bent joints and craned head there was a suggestion of energy about the horrid thing which made smith's gorge rise the gaunt ribs with their parchment-like covering were exposed and the sunken leaden-hued abdomen was the long slit where the embalmer had left his mark but the lower limbs were wrapped round with coarse yellow bandages a number of little clove-like pieces of myrrh and of cassia were sprinkled over the body and lay scattered on the inside of the case i don't know his name said bellingham passing his hand over the shrivelled head you see the outer sarcophagus with the inscriptions is missing lot two forty nine is all the title he has now you see it printed on the case that was his number in the auction at which i picked him up he has been a very pretty sort of fellow in his day remarked abercrombie smith he has been a giant his mummy is six feet seven in length and that would be a giant over there for they were never a very robust race feel these great knotted bones too he would be a nasty fellow to tackle perhaps these very hands helped to build the stones into the pyramids suggested monkhouse lee looking down with disgust in his eyes at the crooked unclean talons no fear this fellow has been pickled in natron and looked after in the most approved style they did not serve hodsmen in that fashion salt or bitumen was enough for them it has been calculated that this sort of thing cost about seven hundred and thirty pounds in our money our friends was a noble at the least what do you make of that small inscription near his feet mr smith i told you that i know no eastern tongue ah so you did it is the name of the embalmer i take it a very conscientious worker he must have been i wonder how many modern works will survive four thousand years he kept on speaking lightly and rapidly but it was evident to abercrombie smith that he was still palpitating with fear his hands shook his lower lip trembled and look where he would his eye always came sliding round to his gruesome companion through all his fear however there was a suspicion of triumph in his tone and manner his eye shone and his footstep as he paced the room was brisk and jaunty 
he gave the impression of a man who has gone through an ordeal the marks of which he still bears upon him but which has helped him to his end you're not going yet he cried as smith rose from the sofa at the prospect of solitude his fears seemed to crowd back upon him and he stretched out a hand to detain him yes i must go i have my work to do you're all right now i think that with your nervous system you should take up some less morbid study oh i am not nervous as a rule and i have unwrapped mummies before you fainted last time observed monkhouse lee ah yes so i did well i must have a nerve tonic or a course of electricity you are not going lee i'll do whatever you wish ned then i'll come down with you and have a shakedown on your sofa good night mr smith i am so sorry to have disturbed you with my foolishness they shook hands and as the medical student stumbled up the spiral and irregular stair he heard a key turn in a door and the steps of his two new acquaintances as they descended to the lower floor end of part one